MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, April 5th, 2021. Today, how the former guy tricked his donors into recurring contributions, the Oath Keepers that guarded Roger Stone traded 19 phone calls prior to the attack on the Capitol, Matt Gates bragged about his access to women provided by his friend Greenberg, Republican Congresswomen revoked their endorsements of a Texas GOP candidate after racist comments, and the trial of Derek Chauvin resumes today. I'm A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. I was so, I was listening to you say what you were saying. I almost forgot to introduce myself. <laughs> You're like, this I was like, ooh, the news sounds great today. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was like, fascinating. So, like I was listening to a book on tape. I forgot where I was. <laughs> I'm like, I'm AG. And you're like, oh, 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 I'm Dana Gold. Yeah, oh, okay. I'm here too. Okay. So... <laughs> We have um, we have an amazing show today. We have uh, Ellie Honig is going to be joining us a little bit later. We're going to talk uh, everything that we've heard so far. We're going to talk about the highlights in the Derek Chauvin trial and the uh, murder of George Floyd. And then we're going to talk about what he thinks is coming up this week. And, you know, based on also kind of what we already know about where they're going to be going uh, in the in the testimony. And uh, if you know, I have a feeling if you thought that the first week of testimony was was explosive, which it was, and it was very dramatic, very emotional. I think that this week um, may prove even more uh, newsworthy as we as we go forward. Um, and and I, when I say newsworthy, I, I only mean, you know, more dramatic. I think it's yeah. going to, we're going to be hearing from med- medical examiners. There's going to be a lot of uh, the defense trying to say that uh, it wasn't the knee on the neck that caused the death, etc. It's going to be, it, it could get hard to watch, honestly. Um. But Ali and I will be talking about that. And then uh, I'll be on stereo this Tuesday with Andrew Torres at 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern. Uh, however, I am actually taking a very rare day off this Thursday. Yes. So uh, we will not be on the stereo app um, this Thursday, uh, but we'll be back uh, next week. So just wanted to give everybody a heads up on that. Um, we do have a lot of news to get to. Some good, some bad, but but it's all news and and we need to go over it. And uh, I, we have a really great uh, good news um, segment today too. I've 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 kind of cheated and looked ahead a little you bit. You perused. I did. I perused, but I'm excited about that too. So let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Oh, I should mention that the show will go on this week when I have a day off, though, right? You're taking over, Dana. I am taking over. I'm, I've got the I've got the baby in my hands by myself. Although <laughs> Ag is gonna, she's she's already said she'll record an interview for me for one of the spots, and I'm gonna be filling the rest. We'll have the good news as always. Um, I I don't even know if Amy. I think Amy might be doing a movie. Like all hell is gonna break loose on Thursday, but I'm gonna hold the <laughs> fort down. It's gonna be awesome. So I I appreciate you covering for me. Uh, we have the lead story today. This bombshell from the from the New York Times over the weekend. Stacy Blatt. This is how the the um, the New York Times starts their story. Stacy Blatt was in hospice care last September, listening to Rush Limbaugh's dire warnings about how badly the former guy's campaign needed money. When he went online and chipped in everything he could, Stacy Blatt gave five hundred bucks. 
Uh, that was a big sum for a 63-year-old battling cancer living in Kansas City on less than $1,000 a month. But that single contribution, federal records show, was his first ever, and it quickly multiplied. Another 500 was withdrawn the next day, then 500 the next week, and then every week through mid-October, without his knowledge, until Mr. Blatt's bank account had been depleted and frozen. When his utility and rent payments bounced, he called his brother, Russell, for help. What the Blatts soon discovered was $3,000 in withdrawals by the Trump campaign in less than 30 days. Uh, They called their bank and said they thought they were victims of fraud. Indeed, they were. (laughs) Yeah, Russell said it, it felt like it was a scam. But what the Blatts believed was duplicity was actually an intentional scheme to boost revenues by the Trump campaign and the for-profit company that processed its online donations. WinRed is the name of that for-profit company. Facing a cash crunch and uh, getting badly outspent by the Democrats and being just a general loser, the campaign had begun last September to set up recurring donations by default for online donors for every week until the election. Contributors had to wade through a bunch of fine print and a disclaimer and then manually uncheck a box to opt out. And I've seen the boxes. The New York Times has shown (sighs) the text here. This isn't the situation, you know, where you go to Act Blue and, you know, you donate and there's a big box, like a checkbox right under that says, make it recurring or add a tip, you know, giant buttons, right? Yeah. This is Buried, buried in the fine print at the end. It's a tiny little checkbox. I had a hard time seeing it because the print was so small. And as the election neared, the Trump team made the disclaimer increasingly opaque. And that's ac- that's according to an investigation by the New York Times. It introduced a second pre-checked box known internally as a money bomb that doubled a person's contribution. Eventually, its solicitations featured lines of text in bold and capital letters that overwhelmed the opt-out language. This tactic ensnared scores of unsuspecting Trump loyalists, retirees, military veterans, nurses, and even experienced political operatives. Soon, banks and credit card companies were inundated with fraud complaints from the president's own supporters about donations they had not intended to make, sometimes for thousands of dollars. The sheer magnitude of the money involved is staggering for politics. In the final two and a half months of 2020, the Trump campaign, the Republican National Committee, and their shared accounts issued more than 530,000 refunds worth almost $65 million to online donors. My goodness. Yeah, all told, told $122 million uh, in in refunds. A lot of this is because, you know, like this first guy, the, uh, the uh, Stacey Blatt, who donated $3,000, the, there's a limit of $2,600 for, right. for for donations. So a lot of these refunds had to be for going over the limit. And then a lot of these refunds were from people who reported this as fraud. They were unaware. I'm, I'm hoping that actually changed some of their votes, realizing that this guy is just a complete scammer. That would be my hope. I hope so, too. Um, we've got a couple of GOP congresswomen that are actually stepping up to the plate, which is a nice change. Two Republican congresswomen are revoking their endorsements of Texas GOP congressional candidate Sari Kim after she said that she didn't want potential Chinese immigrants in the United States. Now, this is a quote. As the first Korean-American Republican woman to serve in Congress, we want to empower and lift up fellow members of the Asian-American and Pacific Islander community who want to serve their communities. Now, this is the California reps, Young Kim and Michelle Steele. This is their statement. And they went on to say, we talked with Sari Kim yesterday about her hurtful and untrue comments about Chinese immigrants and made clear that her comments were unacceptable. So during a candidate forum on Wednesday, hosted by two Republican groups in Texas, Texas's 6th Congressional District, Kim 
I just can't fucking believe this is real. Kim responded to a question about U.S. immigration crisis by saying, I don't want them here at all referring to potential Chinese immigrants. Quote, they steal our intellectual property. They give us coronavirus. They don't hold themselves accountable. Then she continued to say, I can say that because I'm Korean. Thank you. Okay, so the congresswoman said in their statement Friday that they, quote, urged her to apologize and clarify her remarks, especially as hate against the AAPI community is on the rise, as we've seen this in the country. However... Uh, This is also a quote. However, she has not publicly shown remorse. Her words are contrary to what we stand for, they added. Uh, We cannot in good conscience continue to support her candidacy. We will continue to to speak out in support of our AAPI community. Unbelievable. I mean, I keep saying unbelievable, but is it? Is it at this point? I just, they're really female, male. It really feels like the Republican Party is full of some really assholeish people mm-hmm. and she said all those about th- th- those things about those racist things about uh, chinese people and then she put out an ad saying how can i be racist i'm asian and then she put her gpa in the ad it, it was just odd <laughs> oh my god it was just really weird <laughs> uh, i can say that i'm korean i it's i'm yeah no you can't mm-hmm. okay well the Matt Gates saga continues. Um, he repeatedly, according to the news this weekend, boasted to people involved in Florida politics about women he met through that county tax collector who's since been charged multiple times by federal authorities. Yep. He, he's been charged with sex trafficking of a minor, according to two people who heard his comments directly. They said the Republican congressman, first elected in 2016, also showed them videos on his phone of naked or topless women on multiple occasions, including at parties with Joel Greenberg. Uh, The women, who appeared to be adults, could be seen dancing, hanging out by the pool, and in one case using a hula hoop. The Justice Department is investigating whether Gates, whose loyalty to former, you know, the former guy and frequent cable news appearances has endeared him to many conservatives, they're looking as to whether or not he paid for sex with a number of women in violation of federal sex trafficking laws. The investigation began while Trump was in office and proceeded with the approval of Bill Barr. Federal law enforcement officials suspect that Greenberg procured a number of women for Gates, and they're exploring whether they sometimes shared sexual partners, including at least one girl who was 17 years old at the time of the encounter. Gates is suspected of patronizing websites that allow men to set up dates with women in exchange for dinners or hotel stays. Uh, And it's uh, not a crime to use such services unless money is exchanged explicitly for sex. Investigators have obtained witness testimony and other evidence suggesting Gates did that. They're also exploring allegations that Gates and others used illegal drugs during some of these encounters with women. CNN reported Thursday Gates had used his phone to show fellow lawmakers on the floor of Congress similar photos and videos of nude women. One of the videos showed a naked woman with the hula hoop. That's probably the same, unless, I don't know, he's got a thing for hula hoops. <laughs> he might. Um, neither Gates nor his spokesman responded to CNN's questions about the allegations. Does he have a spokesman anymore? I, I, well, <laughs> we know that Ball quit, right? Right. Um, who was his communications guy over this... Over this uh, the scandal. And uh, I, I will say, if you have a chance to watch Colin Jost uh, this past weekend on Saturday Night Live, he, he takes down Gates pretty, pretty well. Beautiful. I would recommend giving that a Google. That is nice to see. Now, this God, this case with the Oath Keeper just keeps getting worse and worse for the Oath Keepers and Roger Stone. Uh, Oath Keepers found Stuart Rhodes, uh, his deputy, and three members who guarded Roger Stone in exchange nearly 20 
phone calls over three hours on January 6th. That was coinciding with the first assault on police barricades that were protecting the U.S. Capitol and spanning the time the three members breached the building. This is what prosecutors charged on Thursday. So in a new indictment added, um, adding previously charged stone guards Joshua James, 33, of Arab Alabama, and Roberto Menuda, 36, of Prosper, Texas, they added those to an Oath Keepers conspiracy case that has now 12 defendants. Prosecutors bluntly laid a path to Rhodes and a person they said he put in charge of his group's operations that day. So prosecutors identified that individual only as, quote, person 10, it's interesting. Now, Rose is interviewed. Uh, he has said he tapped a former army explosives expert and Blackwater contractor nicknamed Whip as the on-ground team leader. Neither Rhodes nor Person 10, who has not been publicly identified yet, has been charged or accused with any wrongdoing. So efforts by the Washington Post to reach a person matching Rhodes' description of, quote, whip were unsuccessful. So the 12 co-defendants face charges of conspiracy and obstruction of an official proceeding, which carry a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. So James Minuta and two others have not entered pleas, while eight have pleaded not guilty. In a statement announcing the new charges, the Justice Department said the defendants engaged in, quote, frequent and consistent communication leading up to the attack. And we've seen this. We have, we've been talking about this for months now, literally months. The indictment highlighted a moment at 2.30 p.m. when James and Minuta allegedly raced to the Capitol from an undisclosed location in a golf cart, I'm sorry, in a golf cart swerving around police. Why that didn't raise eyebrows, I don't know. Uh, Menuda was dressed in battle apparel, including hard-knuckle tactical gloves, ballistic goggles, a radio with an earpiece, and bear spray, prosecutors said. The government did not indicate that it knew the contents of the 19 calls, but it presented their timeline and duration, showing many came back-to-back or seemingly relay-style among roads, usually referred to as Person 1 in the court filings. Person 10 as well as James Minuta and previously charged Florida state lead Kelly Meggs. So this shit, this, this spider web is spiraling way out, but it still seems that Roger Stone is right smack in the middle of it. Yeah, and interestingly, Rhodes has not yet been charged, nor has Person 10. And we know that there was public reporting a week ago or so, maybe a week and a half ago, saying, we're going to start doing plea discussions. All right. Uh, a couple more have not yet pleaded, uh, while eight have pleaded not guilty. So James Manuda, two others have not entered pleas, Rhodes and Person 10. That's almost half of your fucking conspiracy that could be <laughs> cooperating with the prosecutors. <laughs> Oh, uh, I, 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 I don't have any evidence that Rhodes or Person 10 or Minuta or the two others not named here are actually cooperating or that any plea agreements have been reached. But the fact that they haven't been charged yet either means they're up for bigger charges or they're talking. Absolutely. And you know what's not covered by the pardon that uh, Roger Stone got? <laughs> the insurrection on the fucking Capitol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I should say, to be fair, that they, they also may not have been charged yet because they're still trying to uh, get the evidence that they need to charge right. them in those cases. Uh, and there also could be sealed indictments we don't know about. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons that they may not have been charged. But to, I'm just putting beans on the I think that they're I think they're singing. That's just me. Um. And interesting that Blackwater is being mentioned. Uh, whip, right? Mm -hmm. Cool whip from Blackwater is being mentioned. <laughs> uh, I said January 8th in a, in a big old thread that I posted that I was convinced Eric Prince had his fingerprints all over this. Yeah. Um, 
we'll see. That could just be a coincidence. Um, honestly, it could. You know, I have to. I have to have to say that. But uh, hmm, hmm, does make you especially alive. with makes you wonder with Roger. Yeah, with Roger Stone, things that make you go hmm. All right, we will be right back. We're going to talk with Ellie Honig about all the testimony we've heard in the Derek Chauvin trial and the murder of George Floyd, plus everything that we can expect probably to hear uh, this week. Uh, that trial resumes today, uh, so stick around. We'll be right back with Ellie. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Beans. I used to carry a lucky charm with me everywhere I went, but meddling kids were always after it and it ruined all my fun. These days, I keep my fun with me at all times in the form of my favorite mobile puzzle game, Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a top-rated puzzle adventure game, and it's my good luck charm against boredom. You do not have to be a hardcore gamer to love this casual game, and that's good because I am definitely not a hardcore gamer. It is made for adults, but it's fun for everyone, unless you hate fun, like those meddling kids after my lucky charm. I love Best Fiends because it's a refreshing break from the daily insanity of the news, politics, and meddling kids, but it still keeps my mind focused and active. For me, it's a great stress reliever, part of my self-care routine. I can focus on character collection, leveling them up, and solving the puzzles to engage my brain and have fun. And the best thing is it doesn't require the internet, so I can play it anywhere without having to worry about using Wi-Fi access or cell data. Uh, I've been playing for over a year now. I still find it so calming and soothing. The colors are beautiful. The design is wonderful. The music is... It's just so wonderful. I love the increasingly challenging puzzles too. The visual design's amazing. Best Fiends is boredom's worst nightmare. There are literally thousands of levels to play and counting, plus tons of cute characters to collect. So if you never get tired of solving puzzles, good news, with Best Fiends, the fun never ends. Just don't blame me if you become slightly obsessed. Download Best Fiends for free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I'm joined by former federal and state prosecutor, and that the state part's going to come in handy here, and uh, host of The Third Degree, the podcast. Uh, please welcome Ellie Honig. Ellie, hi. Great to be with you. Uh, so much to discuss relating to this trial. Uh, it, it's been riveting, so looking forward to talking through with you. Yeah, and I've been having uh, like Rodney King flashbacks because we, uh, you know, we all lived th- through that as well. And uh, I'm, I'm, I think that the prosecution has done a, an outstanding job here. And I wanted to talk a little bit, you know, you're a former prosecutor, uh, particularly about uh, let's let's cover these first this first group of witnesses and, and some of the cross, uh, because I think that I think the defense didn't do themselves any favors in some of the people they decided to cross examine, particularly the former or the off duty firefighter EMT and all firefighters in Minnesota in our, our EMTs as well. Uh, so the first round of folks they brought up were the bystanders because we heard in the opening statements from the defense that it seemed like they were going to f- try to focus on the fact that there was this angry mob forming and, and that the police officers were distracted and weren't able to do their job. And I think we sort of dispelled a little bit of that with the prosecution early on. Yeah, so it's been a, a fascinating lineup of witnesses. One thing that's really unusual about this case is there's almost no dispute or debate about what happened because largely because we have so much video we have body cam footage we have surveillance footage from nearby stores and we have bystander cell phone video you can almost lay out second by second and movement by movement who exactly did what to who and for that reason sort of the central facts of this case are not really disputed now i think that the stream of witnesses we saw from the prosecution all had a couple things in common one they were very credible They did not seem like they were stretching as to what they saw. They were clear about what they did see, did not see. Two, they were very, I think, relatable, human, sympathetic, whatever you want to call it. And you can see that they're all still living with the the pain of what they experienced and what they they witnessed. By and large, the cross-examinations 
decisions by the defense lawyer, Eric Nelson, have been um, not super effective, but he's also at times, I think, shown a good amount of restraint. The one that really backfired on him, you're right, is when he tried to cross-examine the firefighter EMT. He he started off with this whole unruly crowd defense, but I kind of think it's falling away. It's such a ridiculous defense. I mean, look, we can see the crowd. It's on video. They're not unruly. I mean, they get upset as it becomes increasingly apparent that this man is being killed in front of them, but there's, there's no threat to Derek Chauvin or any of the cops. There's no menacing going on. I mean, come on, how sensitive are these cops? And even if they were afraid or thrown off their game, do your job. And that's exactly the point that just Nelson got burned so bad on by the firefighter EMT. No, no pun intended. He said to her at one point, well, if you were in the process of putting out a fire and, and a loud crowd started shouting at you, what would you do? And she basically said, I'd be fine. I'd be focused on doing my job. It wouldn't knock me off my game. And then he tried again, and she just said the same thing. Like, I'm here. I'm a pro. I got to do my job. If there's an unruly crowd, so be it. And it just, that was it. I mean, it was a terrible defense from the start. And I actually believe it's going to, if I, let me put it this way. If I'm sitting in a room advising Eric Nelson, I would say, drop that thing. That defense has lost. It, it's going to backfire on you. Just move on. Leave it. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, going forward, and we'll talk a little bit about what, what's to come. But I mean, I think that their only defense, and of course, you know, everybody deserves a defense and every, you have to come up with something. So, you know, I, I, I feel like they're going to try to hammer in on this uh, medical examiner stuff and, and that it wasn't the main cause. Uh, of of the of the death of of George Floyd, but I, I that's also a very very tough tough hill to climb. And I thought I thought it was interesting too. Then they you know after they brought out uh, the bystanders and the 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 minor kids that witnessed it, um, then they brought out the gentleman who was the last person to talk to Derek Chauvin. He was the one who was saying, "Hey, get in the car, man. Just get up and get in the car." And he's like, "I can't, I can't." Uh, and then he he broke down on the stand uh, watching the when we got the body cam footage revealed for the first time. And then I thought what was really pretty incredible were the cops, the supervisors, uh, uh, the supervisor and and the the police officers who and I've I've not seen this a lot. They distanced themselves from Chauvin's actions, and I thought that that was incredibly impactful. More than distanced themselves, they were they were unequivocal. What he did was, I think, the quote from the lieutenant was totally unnecessary, and I think it's good to see that because one of the sort of recurring problems in any kind of cop investigation is the old blue wall, as they call it, right? The cops sort of circle the wagons and protect one another or minimize the conduct or make excuses for bad conduct. And I think, I think policing is changing. Uh, I'm not saying it's still far from perfect, but I think this is an important moment when you see the more experienced commanding officers uh, of Derek Chauvin say this was entirely unacceptable. And they've said that from the start and they're saying it now on the stand under oath. It's very rare to see that. And I think it's making a big impact on the jury because there's really, in my mind, two main defenses. Now, you, you touched on one and I know we'll talk about a bit, the medical causation one. But there's also the issue of whether Derek Chauvin's actions were within police training and policy. And I think that a serious uphill climb. I can't imagine how his actions were consistent with police policy. And I, I worked on this. I worked on use of force policy when I was a state prosecutor. Um, but it's very powerful to hear the senior most member of the police department, this quiet sort of understated man who came on at the end of the testimony on Friday. And he just said, it's not even close. This is, this is just utterly unacceptable. You can kill a guy doing this. 
And I think that's really powerful for a jury to see. Mm-hmm. And then, but I, I know that the defense is kind of focusing on on some of this body cam footage that we have, where we could hear Derek Chauvin say, no, you know, he's big, he could be on something, we need to wait for somebody to arrive. Apparently, they were waiting for maybe somebody to, to you know, because I guess in some of these cases, when there's uh, some somebody who you can't get control of, or you can't detain, that they bring ketamine in uh, and give them a shot. And apparently, I think that they're going to try to say, or they have been trying to say, that that's what Chauvin was waiting for. But I mean, almost four minutes of of unresponsiveness on the ground just sort of makes that defense really difficult. There's so much of an even if factor here. It's like, even if that's what they were doing, you don't put your whole body weight on his neck for nine minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if the idea is we need to control him, okay, you have him rear cuffed, you know, handcuffed behind his back and you have him face down on the ground. I mean, just step away from him, just stand over him in case he tries to do anything, but there doesn't need to be any physical contact at all there. I mean, if you think about it, how hard would it be for him to even get to his feet? I mean, you know, if you want to try it, lay down on your face, put your hands behind your back, hold your hands together, see how hard it is to get to your feet, right? They didn't need to do anything. They didn't need to put any, they didn't need to have any body pressure with on him at that point. They they should have been standing in, in my view, and, and I'm interested to hear what the witnesses say, but just cut my common sense human view is they could have just been made a circle around him 10 feet, you know, 10 feet back. And he would have been a zero threat at that point. Yet instead, we have a knee to the neck, not just at, I mean, I think, I think knee to the neck at all is inexcusable. Again, using sort of a combination of my common sense human experience, but also my work with police departments, never mind for nine minutes. And remember, they have to, Chauvin has to be justified throughout that 929, including the time when George Floyd was just entirely passed out and, and potentially lifeless. I, I think that's a real tough road for the defense. Yeah, it will be. And and you're right. He was cuffed as soon as he got out of his car. Um, and, and something that I don't understand is they had him in the back of the cage cruiser uh, and then took him out. Uh, so it's it's that's even odd as well. I mean, I know he was saying he was claustrophobic and uh, he was having uh, tr- trouble back there, but I don't understand why they even took him out of the cruiser. Well, that part to me is a little bit ambiguous factually, because if you look at the video, it's not clear to me they were ever able to get both doors closed in the back. He's he's kicking out one way and he's fighting out the other way. Um, and, and so I think there could be a dispute about that. Did they? I don't believe there was a moment where they ever had him in the car with both back doors closed. So I, I think they may have sort of given up that part of the fight. But one thing that's important to remember is, you know, there are all different gradations and levels of force. You, everything from when you handcuff a person, that's a level of force. You're using your body to, to restrain them. Um, when you, you know, police can use all different levels depending on the situation. The question really is, was an appropriate and necessary level of force used during those nine 29. I mean, there could be argument back and forth about what happened before then. He was resisting at certain points. He was complying at others. Um, but but that's not really the point. That's beside the point. It's what happened from the moment he's he's face down on, on the street, rear cuffed. And, and that's where you really need to ask, was this appropriate? Was this necessary? Who cares if something that happened 15 minutes before, if he was struggling and they had to struggle with him? It really doesn't make much of a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, also, before we get into what's coming up, I wanted to talk, you mentioned a lot of the uh, trauma that many of these bystanders uh, experienced, very apologetic, saying wish they could have done more. The clerk who, who called the police or, or wouldn't accept the $20 bill, 
the the gentleman who um, was the last to speak to him. Are there any? And this is, I mean, this is just speculation. But are there any potential cases for causing that trauma? Any civil suits that that these folks could bring against the department? That's an interesting question. Um, I mean, the, the the burden of proof is lower in a civil case. You only have to prove. Uh, a preponderance. You, you have to prove your case by a preponderance of the evidence, which basically means 50.1%. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I wonder if they'll, they might sort of bind together and bring a group lawsuit or something like that. But I'm not sure there's a, there's a whole, I'm not sure there's much of a body of law of bystanders witnessing police malpractice or, you know, police abuse and suing for damages. But theoretically, it, 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 it's doable. Uh, I think it would be a, a tough fight in court, though. Okay. Got it. All right. I do have to take a quick break. I want to talk about what you expect coming up in the trial this week. So can you uh, hang on for a minute? Of course. Of course. Great. Everybody, we'll be right back. Hey there, Beans listeners. I know some of you are sleeping on some old mattresses at night, and you deserve better than that. So give yourself an upgrade. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by Helix Sleep, who solved my sleep issues and has given me the most restful night's sleep ever. It is the most comfortable mattress I have ever owned, and I am not kidding. We all have trouble sleeping from time to time. Personally, I hadn't slept well for the past four years. I thought it was from the former guy and the daily stress that he was bringing, uh, and, you know, creepy Matt Gates. But it, it turns out... My lack of sleep was caused by my mattress. It was not designed for me or with my sleeping preferences in mind. But then I found Helix Sleep. They recognize each of us sleep differently, and they customize a mattress to fit you in the way you sleep best. Helix Sleep created a sleep quiz. takes two minutes to complete online. Super simple. And they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. So if you like a mattress that's really plush or really firm, or if you sleep on your side or your back, or if you sleep really hot with Helix, there is a mattress for each and everyone's unique taste. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I like a medium firm bed and I sleep on my side. So it's perfect for me. But you don't have to take my word for it. Helix was actually awarded number one best overall mattress pick in 2019, then again in 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. Totally risk-free, but you will love it. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to former federal and state prosecutor, host of The Third Degree, Ellie Honig, about the Derek Chauvin trial and the murder of George Floyd. And uh, before the break, I was mentioning I wanted to talk about what is going to come up this week. And as a comedian and as someone who's made several mixtapes in my life, <laughs> I understand the importance of starting strong. Yes. Keep keeping the elevation up and then ending stronger than you started. Right. There's like we call it in, in, in comedy, the closer. And. You know, I've got like a six-minute closer. It's it's bananas. But <laughs> the the question here then is, what's coming up now? Because I was I was a little bit uh, sort of taken aback by the fact that in opening statements they didn't really hammer the prosecution didn't hammer on the fact that the kneeling on the neck doesn't have to be the only cause of death in order for this to be a homicide. And uh, I was wondering if maybe they're saving that for this week when they bring all the medical examiners out. And if you can tell us, I mean, we've got a few different medical examiners, don't we? Yeah. So first of all, you don't really save, you shouldn't save things in trial. If you have an important point like that, and the point about causation is so important from the prosecutor's point of view, that 
we, the prosecution, doesn't don't have to show that the knee on the neck was the only cause, just that it was a significant contributing cause. You need to hammer that in opening. You need to hammer that throughout your case, and then you hammer it again in closing. You know, trials are not comedy sets or novels or TV shows where you might save the big point, you know, for dramatic purposes for the end, right? I mean, you'll never see a good movie where right up front they go, here's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, throughout this movie. Now let's get into it. Right. They save the dramatic twist. That's not trials. Trials, you need to put it up front. So if you're saving an important point like that, you're making a mistake. And if that didn't come through clearly on the opening, then then that was a fault by the prosecutor. Now, what's coming up? We have we are here's where we are. We have we've had opening arguments. We are in, the, I think, around the middle of the prosecution case right now. It's hard to tell because the parties and the judge are keeping this low key. Normally, in cases, judges are always on you. Counsel, where are we? How many witnesses do we have? Who's tomorrow? When are you going to be done? We're not hearing any of that. So we're, we're sort of all left in the dark. But I think the next few witnesses, I think we're going to hear more on police use of force and policy like we started to see at the end of last week. And then we're going to get into the causation, the medical examiner's aspect of this case. Then there, there I, can be a defense case. I say can be. There doesn't have to be. Remember, the defendant has reasonable doubt. All he has to do is create reasonable doubt as to any legal element of the charges. And so defendants can and sometimes do put on no case. They just say, Your Honor, we we rest. We, you know, we think we've shown reasonable doubt. We'll argue it to the jury. I do think we will see a defense case here. I do not think we will hear from Derek Chauvin himself. And then we'll be into closing arguments at that point. So the medical examiner issue is and the causation of death is, issue, I think, is the next big one. Yeah, I, I really think that's kind of all that's left. Uh, but, you know, like you said, they're keeping it very tight-lipped, and we'll see. But now they, there's a, a, an original medical examiner, and then wasn't there a private one hired? Do they yeah. have – what are their differences in what they found? So this is not great for the prosecution, but they can still overcome it. So the Hennepin County medical examiner, the official uh, medical examiner, essentially found that the cause of death was heart failure brought on by the restraint of the police officer brought on by Derek Chauvin's actions. The family of George Floyd then hired an independent medical examiner who determined the cause of death was asphyxia. So look, it's not great for a prosecutor to have two different medical reports, but they can, they can deal with it because importantly, those two reports agree that one, it was a hot knee brought about by another person, not some sort of freestanding overdose, for example, to anticipate the defense point. And two, that Chauvin's actions were a significant contributing factor. So those are really the two most important things from the prosecution point of view. But it's messy to have two different reports and, and look for the defense to exploit the differences. They're go- the defense is going to stand up and say they can't even tell you how he died. They, the prosecution, don't even know which one of these is right. Um, and then in the, in the prosecution, you're in the you know, somewhat uncomfortable, but, but, you know, you can deal with it situation of saying, well, either way, they agree on these two big facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, the prosecution needs to make sure that every, everyone understands that in the jury understands, uh, and that they need to prove that beyond reasonable doubt, were it not for the knee on the neck, you know, basically what, what the defense is arguing is that George Floyd would be, a, a, a you know, alive today. Uh, or he would have died at that minute of something else. Like, you know, so that's kind of the main question that's a, that's in focus, right? I mean, because like you said, everything else that led up to it, uh, irrelevant, well, not irrelevant, but mostly irrelevant. But the important thing is we have to understand that it was the knee on the neck that caused or was the, the significant contributing factor causing the death of George Floyd. And intuitively, that's why the defense is, is in such a difficult position here, because essentially their, their position is it was everything but the knee to the neck. And, and yeah, essentially, well, he would have died anyway. 
during those 929 or shortly after. And it was just the fact that he had a man, you know, breathing, you know, bearing down his body weight and his neck, just coincidence, but, but not no cause. I mean, that, that's a tough one. That's, a, I'm just thinking about this from a normal human being on the jury here. That's a, that's a tough one to accept. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I think that the defense, they're really going to exploit the differences in those two medical examiner reports. Sure. Um, but, but even the, the Hennepin County medical examiner says that it was uh, cardiac arrest, which is not a heart attack, right? I think that the prosecution has made that very clear because a lot of people assume cardiac arrest is a heart attack. It's not, it just means your heart stopped beating, but that cardiac arrest caused by this knee on the neck. I mean, even the, even the Hennepin County person says it, that, that, that it was a significant contributing factor. Yep, exactly. And I, I believe that both medical examiners ruled it a homicide. Yes, they did. So that's an important fact because homicide simply means it was caused by somebody else, right? As opposed to an overdose or a natural death, which would have been categorized differently. So the homicide conclusion is important. And how does intent play a role? So intent. So there's three different charges here, and each one requires a different level of intent. The top charge is second-degree murder. There, what you have to prove is an intentional assault. Not necessarily that Chauvin said, hey, now I'm going to kill this guy, but he said, I'm going to hurt this guy. I'm going to do more than I'm allowed to do to this guy. And that death resulted. It, oddly, that that's the top charge. It carries the heaviest penalty, 40-year max. But it may not be the hardest level of intent to show. The middle charge, which is third-degree murder, requires a showing of what we call depraved mind intent, meaning I know that this thing I'm about to do is very, very dangerous to human life, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. That's the middle charge. And then the, the lowest charge is the manslaughter charge, which requires essentially negligence that, that uh, Chauvin acted negligently. And all of that turns on to what extent Chauvin was acting outside of or beyond what was permitted under police policy and procedure. And does the prosecution, as a rule, try to prove the highest charge and let everything else fall where it goes? Sure. Well, uh, yes, you're, you're always aiming at the top charge. And I think if I'm the prosecutor in this case, I'm going to argue that his intent was significant enough to or sufficient to meet all three. I mean, right? It, it's not necessarily pick one. Um, I want to make sure that the listeners understand the jury's going to be voting on each of these counts separately and independently. So they could convict on all three. They can convict on one or two of the three. They can convict on none of them. If I'm the prosecutor here, I'm arguing that we've shown sufficient intent for all three, basically intent that goes beyond what we need to prove any of these. Okay, so second and third degree murder aren't mutually exclusive is what you're saying. He can be guilty of both. Sure. If he says, if he says, I'm going to hurt this guy, I'm going to hurt him really bad. And I recognize that it's really dangerous what I'm about to do. That's both of them. Yeah. Well, we will keep an eye on this trial. We'll keep watching you on CNN, do your analysis. And I appreciate your time today. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you, your podcast, all that. Uh, CNN, flip it on whenever the trial's going. Uh, my podcast, Third Degree, we've been covering this trial as well. I got a book coming this summer, which we'll talk about, Hatchet Man, about what Bill Barr did to DOJ. That's coming out in July on Amazon. I love pre-orders. So uh, you can find me all over. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time today, Ellie Honig. All right, AJ. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG. Yeah, a little bit earlier, I was talking about my trouble sleeping and how all my problems were solved by Helix. 
Even cooler, Helix has gone on to start Allform to bring beautiful customizable furniture to every room in your home. Allform crafts the most gorgeous, high-quality sofas and chairs made to your specifications and then delivered directly to you with fast free shipping. You customize your own sofa using premium materials and you do it at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. With Allform, you can pick your fabric, which is spill, stain, and scratch resistant, great for the pod pets. The sofa color, the, the finish of the legs, the size, the shape, the configuration to make sure it's perfect for you and your home and your family. I picked out a three-seater sofa and custom it in whiskey color leather with a walnut leg finish and a chaise and it came in a couple days i put it together myself no tools needed and i'm absolutely in love with it it's roomy modern comfy and i especially love it was designed just to my specifications normally if you want a new custom sofa it takes weeks or months and you need someone to come assemble it in your home but all form takes just three to seven days to come in the mail and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes they have gorgeous armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight seat sectional and there's something for everyone you can always start small too and buy and add more seats later if that's you know if you want your all-form sofa to grow and change with you when you move. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free, give you a full refund. Easy breezy. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders, 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. So many kitty kitties, 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 uh, kitties. <laughs> pss, 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 kitties. kitties. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you have good news uh, or kitties or uh, you want to play What the Mutt with us or you have some misheard song lyrics, you have a confession, you have a dispute, you want Amy to settle in an Amy's courts on Amy's court on Fridays, you can send anything and everything uh, to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. You'll see the drop down menu there with all of the different flavors of things you can send. Um I'm going to go ahead and kick this off with a correction from Nina. Hi, AG. I was listening to today's episode. Would you please consider not using the phrase underage prostitutes anymore? These are children, often black and brown, who are being trafficked and raped. We have laws about the age of consent, and there's often a habit of sexualizing brown and black girls. It hurts to hear you use this language. Thank you for considering. 100%, Nina. Uh, I was reading um, at that point from an article. I do apologize. Uh, I will be more careful to make sure to not use that language again. You know, I'm very pro-sex work I'm, and uh, I'm very sex positive. Uh, and uh, I do try my best. Um, and I, uh, but, you know, that was a mistake. And I will I will do my best not to make it again. Thank you for pointing it out. You're very good, AG, at taking um, these corrections. You just are. All right, we've got good news. We're going to balance it out with some good news. This is from Jonathan, pronounce he and him. This morning, I went to do my weekly grocery shopping. As I was leaving, I noticed that there had set up a vaccine distribution center in the store. I got a flyer and proceeded to take my stuff to the car. An employee who had just finished his shift stopped me in the parking lot and told me to sign up for the wait list. I went back in, put my wife and kids on the list. I have an underlying condition, so I've already had my two doses. We got a call this afternoon. They all got their first dose. Woohoo! My 16-year-old transgender son said he wasn't, um, he hasn't been this excited since his legal name and gender marker change. Ugh. I already love this family. Okay. We will soon be able to get together with my mother for the first time in a year. Thank you, President Biden and Vice President Harris, for fixing the broken, quote, system of the previous administration. Attaches a picture of Dole atop his new cat fortress, his fort kick-ass. 
His cat tree. Oh, Fort Kickass. Fort Kickass. That's nice. Is it Dole or D-hole? <laughs> Good. I'm not sure. I'm going with Dole because I don't know what D- I don't want to know what D-hole stands for, but I guess it's possible. It's Look D-hole. at him though. He's rad. Look at all those places. That's got it all to himself. We're gonna need some clarification. Jonathan, congrats. Also, thank you for being an incredible parent to a transgender son, and thank you for being for your son for being able to authentically live his true self amazing uh but if you would like to tell us a clarification on the next one whether it's d-hole or dole on the cat that would also be great (laughs) he's a cool cat though check him out so cool all right next up here oh more katie's this is good news i promise i don't have a name here or or any pronouns it just says this is good news i promise Uh, My father passed away 20 years ago on Easter Sunday. Holidays that have rolling dates are very difficult, especially during milestone anniversary dates. Not only do you have the holiday, if they don't match up, you also get the date. So on to my good news. Eventually, I was sitting at home remembering the day I knew for sure my father was not going to recover. He had gone into the hospital to have cardiac bypass surgery on 1229, my daughter's 18th birthday. He needed to have the CABG in order to eventually get an abdominal aortic aneurysm repair. Well, his lungs were not healthy enough, and he was put on a ventilator. After two weeks, uh, getting a tracheotomy to save his vocal cords, meaning the last time I heard him talk was the morning he went in for his bypass. My father had a beautiful voice, speaking and singing. His aneurysm ruptured on 129, and after that date, he was put on medically, in a medically induced coma. So on Good Friday, 2001, when we went to visit, and he was in his own room, and the doctor met with my mother, and I knew he wasn't going to be at his oldest granddaughter's high school graduation. So anyway, at home remembering, my phone rings, and it's a very old friend of my father who moved away more than 50 years ago, a man I called once 12 years ago to tell him my mother had died also. He called to say that my father had been a very good friend to him. I did start crying, but it also gave me joy that the man I, didn't, I don't remember would call me out of the blue to tell me that. Enclosed pet tax picks. My youngest cat, Catspur, two years old, an orange tabby. My father and me with two black cats. And my oldest cat, Batman, 13 years. The black cat tradition continues. Oh, look at Batman. Hi, Batman. That's a great photo, by the way, of the dad. and the- <laughs> Oh, my God. So sweet. <laughs> so cute. Thank you for that. Thank you for that story. Absolutely. This one's quick. This is from Phil. Can you guess what this guy's made of? Let's see. That looks like a corgi pit. Yep. Corgi pit bull is my guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going corgi pit bull. Your answer's... Your, yeah. Oh, your guess is as good as mine. Nothing there, huh? I'm going corgi pit. Or a pit bull dachshund. What's the old joke? It's called a wiener pit, just Could like be. your mom. <laughs> ah, sorry. I love it. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. He he. What a what a cool dog though. Check that check that guy That's out. That's fantastic. Little short legs. I love it. Why should I take this next one since that was so short? Yes, okay. go for it. This next one's from Caroline. Pronouns she and her. Good news. Aside from my nine year old, I believe that all my immediate family members have at least one COVID vaccine. Ooh. Why do why, why do I only believe? Well, my fourteen year old and sixteen year old kids both participated in the Pfizer clinical trial. My 16-year-old has been unblinded, a.k.a. they told us what treatment arm he was in and was on a placebo and thus got his first shot last week. Now, my 14-year-old remains blinded, but when she got her shots, had all the effects we hear about. The 16-year-old had no effects, and hubby and I got shot number one this week. Interesting. 
And one more great news. My 77-year-old dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer last, late last summer. He just finished his last session of treatment today. Woo! He's very happy, hey. and we can't wait to see him. For pet tax, I'm lobbing you an easy what the mutt. Well, they aren't mutts, but clover and mochi, I love that, should be an easy A for y'all. Thank you for the enlightenment and appreciate everything you do. Chocolate labs. These are Choco Chocolate tacos. Chocolate labs. Hello, Choco Dogs. Hi, babies. Oh. So cute. Sweet. They look so soft. Oh. Oh, well, thank you for that. And um, that's so great that your dad finished um, the last session of treatment. That's so, that's so great that you get to see him again. And I do, I bet your other kid had, had got the Pfizer shot if, if they're still blinded. I bet. Uh, okay. Next up, pronoun she and her, anonymous. AG, my pickles are Heifetz kosher dills. They used to be Damawai Ogarek Polish pack dills, but the company has been bought out. But these are the right ones. Not too much vinegar, hint of sweet, and full of happy memories from this St. Louisian. Lu- is it Louisian? St. Louisian? St. Louisian? St. Louisian. A St. Louisian. Somebody from, somebody from Missouri. Yes. <laughs> I grew up in St. Louis, and these were the only ones my mom ever bought. They can be ordered at Maynard's, M-E-N-A-R-D-S dot com. Nice. I'm gonna have to try those. Yeah, I love pickles. Pickle, too. pickle pick, and pet tax attached. Oh, and there's a kitty. Love it. Hi. Thanks for the pickle oh. pick, pickle pit, and pet tax. <gasps> uh oh. Oh, you scrolled, didn't you? Oh no, you didn't. Okay. Yeah, you got. You got to see the eyes on this next pet. Okay, I'm not scrolling. This is from Logan. Pronouns they them. Hello, my name is Logan. Pronouns they them. Thank you so much for having that be a part. I recently found your podcast. It's awesome. I also just heard the What the Mutt segment, so obviously had to pause and send such an important message. My dog Layla is two and a half. She's a rescue and was brought up north from a high kill shelter in the south as a puppy. She's an adorable purebred mutt. We got her at 10 weeks, and we were told that she is a papillion mix. Oh, papillon. Yeah, you got it. Papillon. I don't even need to edit. Just Papillon. Papillon mix. (laughs) Papillon. Okay. Complete guess from the rescue. She was born in rescue and all that they knew about her was off guessing her mom's mix. FYI, my mom was also rescued. Sorry. (laughs) My mom. (laughs) No, I can't even. Okay. FYI, mom of the puppy was also rescued and is also in a (laughs) loving home. Jesus, Dana. Okay. We did have our DNA test done early on, primarily for health reasons. This one does a full panel on what they are carriers for or may develop. Nice. But of course, wanted to know her mix. She is a six-way mix. Oh, she is, has, okay. She's a six-way mix. The shelter thought she'd be no more than 20 pounds fully grown. She's actually 45 pounds and very healthy at that weight. No one ever gets all six correct. So I think there is a Doberman as well as a Husky in there. And I'm going to also say a Corgi. Look how short those back legs are. Yeah, but the long, the front ones are long. <gasps> Look how cute this dog is. Oh my God. She's not as short as I thought. Okay. We got Shepherd, Dobie, Husky, Oh, I only have three. I've got Husky, Australian Shepherd, German Shepherd Dog, 
Chihuahua. Okay. Dachshund and pointer. Mm, pointer? You want to put pointer in there? Okay. Pointer. Yeah, because the tail. Look at the tail. Oh, good, good call. All right, let's see what we got here. Oh, what a honey. Results. Pitbull Terrier, Boxer, Husky. We got Husky. We got German yep. Shepherd. Labrador. Labrador Retriever oh, and Rottweiler. So we got two out of six. We're really All right. just not good okay. at this. <laughs> All right. 33%. percent okay. We got correct. Oh, well, thank you for that. What a cool looking dog, though. The eyes kill me. The eyes kill me of that dog. I'm surprised Beautiful. that they're not, that's not Husky. Where did she get those? Oh, Husky's in there. Yeah, Husky and German Shepherd. Got it, got it. Okay. Next up from MD, pronoun she and her. Dear Queens of the Beans, I have some good news to report. I have a job interview next week. I've been looking for my next full-time job, big kid job, for the past three years. I really hit my stride with my cover letters and nailing interviews until COVID brought the world to a screeching halt. Since August, I've been dipping my toes back into the museum job waters without much success, so I'm super excited that someone wants to talk to me. I'll be honest, one part of me wants to jump for joy and scream from a mountaintop, while the other part wants to not get my hopes up and keep this news all to myself. Submitting to the good news seems like a healthy alternative because it lets me tell the world without actually telling the world, you know? I would appreciate any good vibes y'all could send my way, but remember, we're not getting our hopes up so not too many good vibes that other people need probably more than me. Oh, empty. I sadly don't have any pets, but I do have some pretty cool coworkers, such as these turtles engaging in some classic turtle yoga <laughs> to soak up as much warmth into their cold-blooded little bodies as possible. Also, this adorable orange lobster, they are as rare as blue lobsters, but they're harder for us humans to notice because they look like cooked lobsters. Wow. Fun fact, this little guy made it all the way to the local grocery store before someone realized that it wasn't a normal lobster. He's been living happily ever after at the museum and aquarium I work at ever since. Keep fighting the good fight and don't let the monsters get you Look down. Look at these Look turtles at these just basking turtles. in the sun. With their heads out of their shells and necks all up. Ooh, orange lobster. Oh, wow. The second picture literally looks like there's like downward dog happening. Yep. Except with the neck up. Yep. Oh, that's cobra pose, actually. <laughs> yes. Yes. <gasps> or upward facing dog, too. You could do that. And then look at the lobster. Rock lobster. <laughs> Rock lobster. Down, down. Oh, yeah. Rock lobster. Rock lobster. Rock lobster. Rock lobster. <laughs> All right. That's a cool lobster. This is the first lobster I think we can, I, I can say pretty definitely this is the first lobster we've gotten. Oh, for sure. As, as, uh, 100%. As tax. So appreciate that. Appreciate all of your submitted good news. It was very wonderful this week. These be- these animals are so, so beautiful. And all the good news. Thank you so much. And I'm going to check out these pickles, St. Louisan. Uh, that's probably not correct. I have to find out how to say that. That's, I should know. Being from the Midwest <laughs> and all. Uh, but I, I do appreciate everything. If you have anything you need to send in, you can do that, do that over at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Check out the stereo app Tuesdays and Thursdays at five Pacific eight Eastern. Uh, except obviously this Thursday, I'm taking a day off. Dana is going to run the world for that day. So I'm I'm holding down the fort. (laughs) Uh, any, uh, final thoughts before we. Get out of here on this Monday. No, let's continue to make a very happy April. Happy April. Mm. Yes. And uh, today I get my second job, my second Fauci Ouchie. I'm done. Well, I get to wait my two weeks. Yep. Uh, and then I will be free 
to continue to do what I'm already doing pretty much. Nothing really is going to change. Same. Same. <laughs> anyway, everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of your mental health, and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them is the beans. The Daily Beans is directed, written, and hosted by executive producer Allison Gill and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Staff writers include Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and Allison Gill. Our copy is written by Jesse Egan, and our marketing manager, executive assistant, and social media director is Kanai. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, and Amy Carrero. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder of Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. Hey, everybody, do not miss our Daily Beans After Party on the Stereo app. We'll be going live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Dana and I want to hear from you. Our last stereo show went a little bit like this. What about you, ladies? What are your favorite nonsensical songs? The most weird, bizarre, silly stuff you can think of that you've heard through music. Thank you very much for all you do. Um, Hope you're all well. Talk to you soon. Bye. Oh my God, A.G. I so I have an older gay brother. I don't know if that's relevant to the story, but I feel like it is because he had the B-52s on the record. So it was like, you know, we were into the, has anybody seen a dog died dark green, sunglasses and a bonnet, designer jeans with <laughs> appliques on it. You're like, what? Keeps the rain like, I'm like, how many drugs was that person on? Uh, nonsensical songs. You're so much better at this than I am. So you go first because I bet you've already thought of one and I'll try and think of one. Um, my favorite nonsensical songs come from They Might Be Giants, for example. Oh, yes. Boat of Car is really good. And then, of course, I'm going down to Cowtown. A cow's a friend to me. Lives beneath the ocean. That's where I will be beneath the waves, the waves. And that's where I will be. I'm going to see the cow beneath the sea. Yeah. There you go. No. Although, were they talk? What was he whale watching? Is it really that obscure? <laughs> you won't answer any questions about their lyrics. I, I've asked multiple times. Oh my uh, god! The best I, I love. I love their. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The best I can get out of them is the explanation of uh, "Birdhouse in Your Soul," which we already yeah. knew, right? Right. So. Not to put too fine a point on it. Say I'm only being your bonnet. Yeah, it's sung from the point of view. Uh, sung from the point of view of a, a bluebird nightlight in the bathroom. Yeah. Yep. yeah, I love that song. It's one of my favorite ones.